Hey, Mind Fire Nation. Happy Thursday. It's Mackenzie and Dave here again, and we are so excited to be back with our fourth episode in our series. And just as a recap, the podcast is designed to help you market, sell, and build marketing automation campaigns more effectively. So we're here to learn from industry experts what's working, what's not working, uh, from a diverse set of views, so people from all different backgrounds. If this is your first time with us, we encourage you to check out our first three episodes. We've had some great guests on so far talking about different things related to the building and selling of cross-channel campaigns. And they've all come at it from different perspectives. They've all helped us try to get our arms around this difficult task, but really not insurmountable uh, challenge that we have in front of ourselves here to become comfortable with selling and building these types of campaigns. And today is no exception. So today we're joined by our friend Mike Westner from Enrollment Fuel. Uh, it's a company that he started and he's now the president. Dave and I have actually known him for a few years and we've come to find him really insightful and I think that um, he really comes with a unique perspective in areas of sales, marketing, and now building a digital marketing services company from the ground up. Throughout the interview today, you'll hear that he's really unique, super one of a kind, and um, I think that you'll appreciate what he has to say and the perspective that he comes from. We'll hear why no is the second best answer he can get, how his success is no longer tied to selling print, and why $50,000 is a magic number for him in his sales process. But Mackenzie, before we jump in, we got to give everyone a word of caution, right? If you're offended by yo mama so fat jokes, <laughs> you should shut us off right now because we got to warn you, there's going to be some yo mama jokes on the show today. Go back and listen to one of our earlier episodes. There's some great stuff there too. Don't say we didn't warn you. Let's jump right in. All right. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Good. So it's not quite afternoon for us yet. Uh, it's still morning <laughs> and it's it's been a little bit rainy, but it's nice. We need that rain in California. So um, we're excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Why don't we start this off? Tell us a little bit about you when you're not working. So family, hobbies, things you like to do. Well, my wife and I are pretty active. Uh, we have three boys and they keep us busy. We exercise a lot. I'd like to say that I'm a uh, famous basketball coach at the local YMCA. I've been undefeated uh, with my team for the last three years. I'm a kayaker and a mountain biker, and uh, I tell people that I want to be known as a gourmet chef. Awesome. So when you come out to visit us soon, hopefully, uh, will you will you cook for all of us? I will. I will. <laughs> I'll bring you some, uh, I'll try to make some Eastern North Carolina barbecue for you. Mmm, I like that. Sounds good. You're hitting us right before lunch, so perfect. So, Mike, I know you've had a really interesting career over the past uh, couple of years, couple of decades, not to age you, but I know you've been doing this for quite some time. What we like to ask our guests is the question, you know, what's the best piece of business advice or insight that you received from a mentor, from a customer, from a friend that has kind of guided your career and has given you, you know, an edge as you've worked over the past few years serving your customers? Is there something that comes to mind? Uh, there's something that I, I actually didn't learn until recently that a business mentor of mine shared with me, and, and it was going for the no. You know, very early on, I was championing a lot of variable data ideas and uh, feeling like that I was a pioneer in 
ideas, but I, I wanted to impress people with all the good things that I knew, and all, and I wanted people to like me. And then I stopped worrying about people liking me and stopped trying to give out a lot of free consulting. So I uh, learned uh, what we call going for the no. It's okay if I if I get a no, and I, I tell people often when I'm meeting with them that no is the second best answer that I can get. Uh, the worst answer that I can get after a meeting is uh, is no answer. Uh, so going for the no is a is a valuable lesson that I've had to learn. So Mike, break that down for us then. How does that apply when you're trying to win new business? And like specifically, what I'm wondering is where are you trying to get a no during the sales process? In our team, we talk about time wasters. There are some people out there that just like to get together and have lunch, you know. <laughs> and there are. Uh, some people that are looking for free ideas and looking for free consulting. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to do early on is always make sure I'm talking to a decision maker and uh, uh, make sure that I understand uh, their challenge. And also, very importantly, is to make sure that they have budget. Uh, budget, challenge, and decision maker are always really important. Uh, and any business development activity. Right. So, Mike, I know in having worked with you over the past couple of years, you have print sales in your background. You've done that before. But it's clear from hearing you talk and just looking at your work that you've been able to make the jump from selling, quote-unquote, just print, if we could say that, to selling marketing services that while certainly incorporating print as part of the marketing mix, uh, what you're doing is much more comprehensive in nature. I know that Specifically for your higher ed customers, you're creating nurture emails, landing pages, drip sequences, certainly doing direct mail. You're providing in-depth, customized analytics. So really a whole world of stuff that you're doing that goes way beyond print. And Dave, it seems like, I mean, just thinking about our customer base and for many of the listeners out there, Many of, or many of our customers are service providers, and so they're people that are either printers or marketing service providers, but the printers specifically, they come to us trying to solve that exact challenge and make that exact leap. So they're wanting to make that jump from printer where they're able to work on one piece of the output that a marketer somewhere way down the food chain is designed for to becoming actually a key part in the strategic discussion that drives print as one of the outputs. So they want to be much more focused largely on the overall marketing strategy. And since you've been successful at this, Mike, how have you navigated this journey? Can you tell our listeners what you've done to successfully make this transition? I had the good fortune of being able to take over an acquisition uh, and run a company for a larger company, and, and this company was a, a digital printing company, so I was exposed to variable data printing and all kinds of new things uh, pretty early. Uh, one of the things that I learned is that, uh, you know, I wanted a different spot in that table, in that group of people that was planning, that were planning for a company, planning the strategy, planning the campaign, and often you know, being the printer, you're not a part of that ecosystem uh, ahead of the campaign or ahead of the project, or you're not invited to be at that table. And I ask myself often, how do I get to that table and be a part of that initial discussion? And instead of becoming, uh, remaining what I call uh, being simply an output device, after all the good juicy talk happens, right. uh, then the decision is made, uh, now let's go find a printer. Uh, so I ask myself a lot, how do I get 
at that table and how do I change my spot in this whole ecosystem and, and some of the things that have really driven uh, where I'm at today is because I've made a conscious effort to gain a spot at that table and be a part of that early ecosystem, early group that's, that's planning a campaign. So Mike, you're saying that the first step for you in this whole process, in this leap or in this transition that McKenzie kind of started us off here with, was that you had to recognize the fact that you needed a seat at the table, as you say, during the strategic part of that marketing conversation. What I'm wondering is once you had that realization and you start to think differently about your role in the overall process, what was the next step or what was the next evolution in your thinking from there? One of the things that, that I had to learn is that I had to become a subject matter expert in, in an area, uh, that I had to understand the business and I had to learn and I had to, to create value. Because in my world right now, I, I'm not measured on whether I print well. I measured on whether I increase enrollment for a school. And it's not just about creating a good marketing campaign. It's about teaching them to convert those leads to enrollment and helping them manage other aspects of their business so that they're successful. So, Mike, if you don't mind, I'd love for us to just stop for a second and take a step back because we sort of just jumped right into the heart of the conversation. But before we go any further, something seems a little bit different about you than a lot of other people that we've encountered. And it seems like you're able to solve problems with a thinking that's a little bit out of the norm. I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are curious too, where in your life does that come from? Is there something that you think um, brought this to you or something in your life that, that impacted you, allowing you to think in this way? I'm a former naval officer, but you know, I think one of the things that makes everyone successful is all of their experiences. Because I was a naval officer and I taught leadership in the Navy, uh, and I had this subspecialty in the Navy where I was required to go back and get more education, I went back and got a graduate degree in higher education. So if you look in your life at all these things that happen, they all kind of happen for a reason, and they're kind of woven together to to make out some meaningful purpose later. And uh, later, I was in campus ministry. So prior naval officer with a graduate degree in higher education in the campus ministry. I should say I wasn't really a minister. I was a fundraiser in the campus ministry. They, they called me minister sometimes. Uh, that was always interesting. But I was hanging out with college kids all the time. Uh, and, you know, to earn a living, I was working for these printing companies, dabbling in one-to-one -one marketing, developing this expertise, not in printing. Ultimately, I learned it wasn't about printing. Uh, it's about data and the analysis of data and the modeling of data and data, data, data. So, Mike, before you started Enrollment Fuel, what did you see at the companies that you worked for or that you worked with? Specifically, I'm wondering, are there any themes that you think emerge relative to the types of companies that have been able to make this transition, to make this jump, who've been able to create successful campaigns that span more than just print. Is there any trend or theme that you think you've seen over the years? Uh, one of the observations that I made pretty quickly uh, in the printing business is in companies, many of the successful digital or one-to-one -one marketing or cross-media programs that were being developed were often 
developed by the business owner. And I started noticing that people that tend to, to think like owners, or more importantly, be allowed to think like an owner, were having success. Uh, I have to interrupt you for a second because that's just blowing my mind for a sec. So you're So you're saying that what you found is that the actual owners of the companies were the ones coming up with the best concepts for these campaigns? They were the ones coming up with the ideas. If you saw that it was not an owner that came up with the idea, it was someone that was allowed to fail or was allowed a long lease to be entrepreneurial. So let's just imagine that, and I'm sure there actually are, some of the listeners are an owner of a print company. Let's say you're the owner of a print company and you're listening to this right now. Do you have any piece of advice for them that would help them become more successful or allow them to transition, maybe not encountering some of the mistakes that you've encountered along the way? If I were a, an owner of a printing company right now, I would allow people who are entrepreneurial to be entrepreneurial and build their businesses within your business where they have ownership. And, and, you know, one of the first questions you simply ask is what are people passionate about in, in my company? Because passion is going to equal success. Sometimes we we ask our sales force to do this, do that, and, and, and you know, create vertical market expertise. And sometimes we ask them to become a, a vertical market expert in something they're not passionate about whatsoever. I, I, you know, I think the better question is to back up and say, what are you passionate about? You know, what I was passionate about was the higher education landscape. I really understood that because I had teenage boys that were going through the, uh, the experience of being recruited by colleges. I understood the landscape of higher education because I was hanging out with college kids all the time in campus ministry. I was this one-to-one -one marketing pioneer messing around early with variable data and printing and things like that. Tell us a little bit about the company you started Enrollment Fuel. What do you do? What makes you unique? What are the offerings that you guys um, bring to your customers and your, your prospective customers? Enrollment Fuel is a solutions company that helps colleges recruit students. And I, I started this company in February. We're not quite a year old. We've had tremendous success uh, in our first year. We try to be differently. You know, I came to Dave and I had a business challenge and I, I was learning the lesson that response rates no longer mattered. Uh, and I've been taught as a you know, as a wannabe direct mail expert that, you know, it was all about response rates, response rates, response rates, response rates. And all of a sudden, I was seeing that response rates didn't necessarily matter. What mattered uh, was conversions. In my space, I tried to, to establish our company as a company that is different. It's not about the volume of leads that we create for you. It's about the quality of those leads that we create for you because uh, in the end, if I'm bringing fewer people through your pipeline that are of higher quality, that convert at a higher rate, and ultimately increase your enrollment, we're going to be able to do that more efficiently, more effectively, and it's going to save you money. So you've got a beautiful website there at enrollmentfuel.com, folks. I suggest you check out Mike's website. And Mike, I saw that you've got a couple of solutions listed there. You've got student mining, you have banner direct, merit badging, and click capturing. Can you tell us a little bit about each of those and what they do for your clients 
um, in order to help them attract students? Student mining uh, is just a good visual picture of the whole ecosystem uh, that I operate in. And uh, uh, what I'm most excited about is, is click capturing and merit badging. These are tools where we come back, we help our clients see that not all leads are created equally. I need to give them some tools to help people convert. Because uh, one of the things I learned in my business is that uh, if I didn't increase enrollment, it didn't really matter how pretty my postcards were, how uh, how much they liked me. You know, I would get a couple of years, but I had to move the needle and increase enrollment. And I would look at the campaigns that we were doing, and I would see that was very successful at putting leads into the organization. But I became frustrated because I didn't have a hand in the conversion process, and it was almost like Dave. I wanted to reach around them and grab the steering wheel and drive mm -hmm. for them where they needed to go and show sure. them how to close sales because if they didn't close sales, I knew that I was going to lose my business. Click capturing is me baking a cookie on a device and that's where you taught me the word tattooing because I said I don't like the word cookie, that's never going to fly. Uh, I had to even come up with something better than tattooing because, you know, some people don't like uh, the word tattoo. Uh, sure. And I went in this area of fingerprinting, you know, all kinds of different areas. Click capturing is where we landed. Uh, so one of the biggest solutions that we provide today that's uh, powered by Mindfire is I, I give people uh, that are my clients weekly reports that show them who was captured coming back to the website of the school during the week, uh, which, by the way, in a behaviorally, that is a great behavioral indicator that someone's interested in your school when they're doing research late at yep. night on your main website. But who, am I, who did we capture, and what did they click on on your site? So all of a sudden, I'm sending spreadsheets to clients that show these are the people that were captured. Uh, these are the the pages that they pulled up in your website. And, and now counselors have tremendous insight to focus on those people differently because the reality is that they couldn't manage the volume of leads that are coming through. So if I see that people are really interested, I'm capturing people that come back to your website later or click on one of the links in these nurture emails later. So tell the audience here, what does Yo Mama jokes and student search have in common? Where'd you pick that up from, Yo Mama? <laughs> <laughs> Your awesome blog, which we hope that everyone goes and reads after they hear you. Well, hey, I'm taking a risk here with this campaign, uh, but you know, I, I think you have to. That, that's that's a whole nother podcast altogether. Is not don't try to make everyone happy in your marketing campaigns, then you'll make no one happy. I'm, I'm going, I, we're going out with this campaign called Your Inquiry Pool So Fat. And uh, <laughs> that's the problem that many schools have is, you know, let me bring it to the world that you're in. Your prospect pool is so fat. Yeah, your inquiry pool is so fat that it affects the tides. And uh, your inquiry pool is so fat that it sits in two zones. Two time zones.
Uh, I'm sure you've got a ton of those. I, you know, our listeners can't see your face, but hey, guys, we're we're watching um, Mike right now. We can see him in his in his pool office there. And when McKinsey said that, you should have seen his face, Mike. It looked like you were uh, looking at us like we were from another planet. But I can tell you, I, love I'm these a little, jokes. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I'm a little nervous about this campaign because I know I will offend someone. You know, I know that some people will get offended by. Uh, sure. The inquiry pool so fat joke. You know, you got to take risks in life. I guess is what I'm saying. And we're going to take some risks with uh, your inquiry pool so fat jokes. Your your lead pool right now is too fat. Is my challenge to anybody probably listening to this. And how how do you get how, how do you trim your fat? And how do you understand who's genuine and legitimate in your pipeline? So you. A lot of our listeners, Mike, are people in shoes like yours, like mine, like McKinsey's, where we are thinking not only strategically but also very much involved in the day-to-day aspects of our, of our jobs and in our businesses. And what we'd really like to know from you and what our listeners are asking about all the time, specifically from folks in your situations, is what's it like to approach, in your case, a university and convince them or sell them on the ideas that you have? And how do you get them from that point to actually signing on the on the dotted line and engaging with you? Is there some insights you can share for our audience as to what's that, what that's like and how you do that? Well, early on for me, when I made a decision that I wanted to be an expert in this area, I I called schools, and it was a little bit easier for me because I was getting mail for my oldest son at the time. Most of the mail was awful, and I knew I could do better. But when I saw a really good mail piece, I would call that dean and say, hey, I got your mail piece. Do you mind if I come and shadow you for a day or interview you for an hour or buy you lunch? I'd like to pick your brain. And and that's how I started. I started going out and meeting with people. and. I would ask a lot of questions, and I had the advantage of, you know, I wasn't, I was bringing something different, because a lot of these schools had just done uh, number 10 envelopes, saturation mailings, and tackled the problem with volume. Mike, how do you find your clients? What kind of marketing do you do? You know, one of the big things, Dave, I've always used the MindFire tools to help me find new relationships and new clients, much like... Hmm. I'm using the MindFire tools to help my clients find new students. Interesting. So, 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 uh, so you're saying you and you do your own marketing. You eat your own dog food, essentially. You know, practicing what you preach, powered by by MindFire in part, to go after prospective customers. Is that what you're saying? Oh, it's made me so much better because I, I'm known as a hunter. I mean. People, you know, know that I can open a lot of doors and I can get a lot of meetings and, and you know, but I, I don't like to get meetings unless I've marketed to them first and I've gotten some insight that tells me this person has been clicking. Hint, look who's clicking. Uh, this person has come back to my website. Uh, this person has been nurtured, and I might have a better conversation with this warm lead here 
And I set that all up with the Mindfire tools. You know, I understand the product so well. I, I guess I eat dog food. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, you're using your own click capturing on your own company and then taking that to them. And so that as you have these conversations, you're able to have that intellectual conversation with them because you know what behavior they've been doing. You know the things they're interested in. And then when you go there and you have that conversation with them, they're like, whoa, he really knows what's going on. And then that inspires them to realize that, you know what, you can do the same for your large or fat or whatever uh, lead pool too. And you could know, you could take that, that huge pool and, and make it more concise and then know what people are doing. And just like you said, click capturing. I like that name. I think that's a great name that you coined. All right, so let's have a little fun here. Will you, Mike, please uh, humor us and role play with us for a second? Let's imagine that you've just marketed to a prospective set of clients and someone engages. So maybe they pop up on your radar um, because they clicked something or they showed the right what we call digital body language, that engagement with your campaigns or programs. What's your pitch? How do you approach them and what are you going to say? So let's pretend that Dave is the prospective customer. Um, what's going to be some of the things that you're going to say to him that first time you talk? The very way that I got this meeting with you today, Dave, is because I use the techniques that I'm going to use with you to find students. This right. is how I found you. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was powerful. I still haven't figured out the right way to tell somebody, hey, I, I noticed you were snooping on my website the other night. You clicked on this and that. I'm, I'm still working through how you do that effectively. All right, so let's say you've done that part. You've actually sold the campaign. Woohoo, you won. Um, what does the building process look like for you and within enrollment fuel? Do you actually build the campaigns yourself? Do you have team members do it? Um, who helps you out with that? I've used to do that. Uh, since I've been building my own company this year, I do more of it than I probably should. Usually, I'm handing the campaign off to somebody that's a lot smarter and better than me pretty early. But I usually go in, uh, open the door, find the decision maker. If they have budget and they have pain, I'll craft the proposal. If we get the opportunity, then I'm bringing in my team and handing the project off. That, that's one of the things, that, going back to our discussion about this ecosystem and being at a different seat in the table, I, I found that uh, it's a lot easier to go in to a client and create the campaign for them, write the copy, do the programming, do the mailing, do it all for them, uh, as opposed to just waiting for it all to happen and uh, asking them, do you got anything for me to print today? <laughs> I want to I peel that back a little bit. So when you provide these services to your customers, you're doing design of, of emails, design of microsites, uh, design of the print pieces, designing the entire workflow for orchestrating all of that together, tying it into their, to their EDU website, and you're also writing the copy and the content, essentially providing everything from A to Z, or is there some part of it that your customer provides you, you know, content or copy or material for use within the campaign. How much of it is on you versus how much is on them? It's different at every school. Some schools want to be more involved. It's more painful if they want to be real involved. Uh, they're real busy, and there's real value of them trusting you and just turning it over to you completely. Value is provided by somebody that can come in and get it done completely as a sole source. And my team today is built with more enrollment management than in the past. And I've got people that really understand the pain and the struggles day to day that a vice president of enrollment is challenged with. So we come in and add 
value from the predictive modeling and name purchase up front all the way to helping the client understand how to leverage financial aid packaging most effectively to uh, get the enrolled student at the end. It's a, it's a long, uh, beautiful process sometimes. Uh, so, Mike, what is what is your typical proposal look like? You know, one of the questions that we get frequently is, and that folks that we, that we work with are comparing themselves against their peers in is, you know, how are we proposing these types of things to our customers? How are we putting the different cost components uh, in front of the customers? At, you know, one lump sum, is there a upfront fee and then an ongoing monthly fee? Just tell us at a high level, how do you construct your proposals and what are the pr what's the pricing dynamic? Well, one of the things I think you have to do early is define budget because that's a scary question to ask a client sometimes. But I really try hard to explain, if you just trust me and tell me how much money you have to throw at this problem, I can then come back and show you how robust of a tool that we can create for you. There's hardly ever a scenario where I can help you effectively if the budget that you have is below this. So I'm going to tell you at a minimum for me to get the wheels turning and to help you, it's at least going to cost this much. And that right okay. there ends the conversation for me, for many people. I mean, it's over. Be comfortable with telling me no, because no is the second best answer that I can get. If I can get no, I'm okay with that. And if I get to the no, at least I didn't waste my time for the next six months. So you're saying you kind of do a couple of things. One is you try to assess their appetite so that you know kind of the, the the range of options that you can provide back to them. But the other thing that you do, and I don't know, correct me if you do this every time or if you do this sometimes or if this is, um, you know, just part of your, your standard practice, but you'll tell them, look, you know, enrollment fuels solution at a minimum is going to be, you know, $50,000 or whatever your number is. So if you don't at least have 50, then we're not good fits for one another right now. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, you're spot on. That's the conversation exactly. Uh, yeah, $50,000 is what it takes to just get the the team assembled. So, so one question we like to ask our guests, I have no idea what you're going to say, Mike, but I, I want to know what's something that you believe is true that most people don't? Well, I think I've hinted to this several times today that I really... I don't believe response rates matter, and I, I know that shakes up some people to hear that, but I have seen that uh, response rates in a cross-media campaign can actually hurt a client uh, if they're too high, because if I get a high response rate for a school, uh, I'm coming back and saying, I really haven't discerned effectively who the best leads are but here you go and here's a lot of unqualified leads for you but I've gotten you a high response rate uh, mm -hmm. and what I have found is that if a, the lower the response rate sometimes the better the yield rate so don't be afraid to, to tightly define response and don't be enamored uh, by the sexy top of the funnel statistics. And it's one of the things that I battle against. I, I have a lot of uh, 
competitors that charge a lot more than I do, Dave, and and they're able to charge more because they're providing lots of volume at the top of the funnel, volume that ends up clogging up the the organization, uh, making them process oriented instead of relationship oriented. I got to make that initial landing page experience fun enough and loose enough that I can at least bake the cookie and find out later who's legit. Because if I don't get the cookie baked, then I don't get a chance to nurture and measure later. So it's it's a balancing act and uh, it's a sure. dance. You know, a better success measurement for me is how many new students did I bring this school this year uh, because of what I did for them. Like, actually, Dave and I were texting about something with our uh, demand generation last night, and we said, I think it was, uh, you know, you can't bring feelings to the bank. I think that's the comment that I made. We were talking about um, leads coming in, or, you know, I don't remember the specific context, but it had to do with exactly what you're talking about. You know, there's, you could see lots of traffic or see lots of um, activity or volume, but it's really about the quality. It's about, you know, the conversion. It's about getting in there and actually forming those relationships. So, um, I think so. yeah. I think that's great. I love that. Applications uh, do not often turn into enrollment, and sometimes it's just a good number to share with the trustees of your school. But apps are up, and everybody thinks that enrollment's going to be up. But you know that doesn't mean enrollment's going to be up. That just means you made it really easy to apply, and you may have removed your application fee or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't mean that enrollment's going to be up for you. And I'm sure there are some new business owners on the line, maybe they're entrepreneurs or people that are thinking, you know what, I would love to start my own company. What encouragement do you have for them? Do you have any pieces of advice or any things that um, you can share with them since you've been able to successfully start your own company and build some traction? Is there anything that you think that will help them as they embark on this journey? For those that are thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, you know, reach out to me and I'll try to encourage you. It, it's amazing what you can do if you if you uh, let the gig, you know, my Eastern North Carolina accent is probably preventing you from understanding what word I'm saying. G-I-G, gig. <laughs> let the gig, 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 determine how you're going to move and then assemble the team. Because a lot of my team are subject matter experts, and I don't always need this subject matter expert for this gig. But I know that this person here is the is the very best in the world at what he does. This lady here is the very best in the world at what she does, and I'm going to go get them. And then I have people that are on my payroll working with people that are not on my payroll. The gig drives pulling together the team, and it allows us to be virtual. It allows us to be lean, and it, and it just makes it a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm a big believer in entrepreneurialism and understanding that there's a new economy that we're in today, and uh, the gig drives things from the beginning. I would love for people to be able to get in contact with you. So you have such good insight. First of all, your blog is awesome. Um, so why don't you tell us how people can get in contact with you, Mike, if they so would like to do so. Uh, sure. Uh, Mike.Wessner at enrollmentfuel.com. You can come to my website sometimes, and I'm covering the live chat uh, sometimes. That's another trick I learned from Big Dave. I always uh, like reaching out to you, Dave, and asking 
for the next big thing. I, I recommend folks take a look at it. EnrollmentFuel.com looks great. Mike, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was so fun. Um, I learned a lot from you, and I'm sure that our family of listeners appreciate you just like we do too. I appreciate you guys. I mean, you guys have allowed me to to, to build this company. And uh, you guys are a big reason why I'm successful today. Uh, and uh, some people think I'm a uh, expert. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> you are an expert. <laughs> you are. Bye. That's right. We'll talk Bye. to you soon, bud. Bye. Thanks, All Mike. Right. Bye. All right. So all the listeners out there, we do have some really exciting news and updates. Uh, so stick around for a second. But before we get into that, I just want to say, I don't know about you, but that was really, really inspiring for me personally. Um, I think one of the things that inspires me is him saying that no is the second best answer he can choose. And I came from a sales background, and then I moved over into marketing, and now I work in demand generation. And sometimes it's it's just easy for no to get us down, right? It's it's one of those things where after you hear it so many times, it can start to chip away at you. But he's absolutely correct. And, you know, it's one thing that to I'm going to carry with me is that no is really much better than not hearing a response. And I know people out there that are salespeople are probably nodding their head saying, you're absolutely right. Um, so I think it's just a push of perseverance and something, anytime I hear no from now on, I'm going to translate that in my own head to a voice saying, keep going instead. What totally agree, Mackenzie. The other thing I would add there, given our experience with Mike and also with you, the listener, and what you're looking for, I know there's a lot of you who are looking for advice, you're looking for input, you're looking for insight from people who have been there and done that. And I can tell you that Mike is one of those people who is open to sharing his experiences. He'll get on the phone with you, um, drop you an email, go to our blog, leave a comment there. He'll be interactive there as he will be on his website. He's got a great blog, as Mackenzie pointed out. So take him up on that offer to connect because he is one of those people out there in our industry who's willing to share. He's a giver, and he's got a lot of great experiences you heard today. All right, listeners. So back to what I was talking about before about the updates about our podcast. Drum roll, please. Uh, first and foremost, we're super excited because we're getting a lot of positive feedback. It seems like you guys are engaging with us and you're excited about the content we're bringing to you. Um, so what that means for us is that it's time to invest in some new equipment. So we are going to be doing that and hopefully it's going to improve our sound quality and it will be a better experience for you as you listen. Um, second, yes, yes, we will soon be moving to iTunes. Um, I know many of you guys have asked for that and um, we're definitely going to be doing that soon. And then last but not least, of, cur of course, please interact with us. So either email me or call me or email Dave or call Dave. Um, definitely, of course, like Dave said, reach out to Mike. He is he's definitely willing to share. But then interact with us too. So on our blog, right below uh, the podcast and all the notes and the breakdown of the timestamps, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to comment there. Um, of course, we will be picking one lucky winner each week, and we'd love to hear from you. So questions, comments, feedback, anything you want to hear about, um, interact with us. Otherwise, thanks so much for taking the time to be here, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>